You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 88. Have we taken intuitive eating too far? All right. (laughs) It is a loaded question and one that I've been asking myself, but I think more common is you guys have been asking this of yourself and you've been asking this of me and probably the other people that you've been working with. So I figured let's take a deep dive and especially, especially after last week's episode, I think that this is really timely at UDE to talk about. I have been thinking a lot about last week's episode, which was 87 with Dr. David West about ultra processed foods. And during that episode, there was a lot of information that David shared, a lot of information that we covered. We tried to come at it with as open-minded as we possibly could, especially two clinicians working in the eating disorder space. We were not interviewing somebody outside of this world. So I hope that we were mindful, but I think part of what I've been thinking about is how some of you might've heard some of the information that we shared about ultra processed foods. Now, let me clarify. I've been thinking a lot about last week's episode and a recording this podcast before you guys have heard the podcast episode, which means that I've already received your feedback when you're listening to this, but I have not received your feedback when I'm recording this. So keep that in mind. But I'm saying a lot of this, not because I think we shouldn't have published the episode. I very much stand by the content that we've created and the questions that I asked, the way that David answered, I think were really, really sensitive and everything that he said, he can back up. So no, I don't think that we shouldn't have published it, but I do want to reiterate the pieces of what you have heard last week and spin it in a way that I would like to make sure you heard it in this way. I think for a lot of you who have any sort of restrictive eating disorder or disordered eating, it's really hard to be inquisitive, curious, and neutral when anybody is sharing anything related to food and food information, food rules. Who knows how many food rules? You already have obsessions, rigidity, inflexibility, and you want to get rid of that. So you're here. You're coming to listen to me every week because you want to break out of that. And I don't want to be the person who's going to give you more rules because that's the last thing that you want. So first of all, I'm just also going to reiterate the thing that I said in the beginning of last week's episode, that if you are experiencing a current eating disorder, or really battling with your disordered eating right now, that episode perhaps wasn't for you. And I understand you can't unhear something, but 
if you haven't listened to it, don't listen to it until you might be on the other side or can think about things a little bit more curiously without having to take this information and then say, oh, well, David said he's an eating disorder dietitian and he does all this research and he has this whole background. So of course I would have to do that. And I don't think that David intended for you to make any food rolls from listening to the podcast. But I do want to sort of put out there that I can understand how it's possible for you to hear whatever we shared last week as, okay, well, now cut out ultra-processed foods or not cut out. Maybe you're thinking to be reasonable about it, quote, reasonable, and say, let me limit that. Let me make sure that I have whatever it is for lunch that is not processed foods at all. So the part that I wanted to clarify and reiterate a million times is that we were talking about a lot of this information from a very general public health perspective. David has a master's in public health. He thinks he sees these things obviously on an individual basis. He works with individuals, but also on a very general level. So we're talking about issues with policy. We're talking about issues with large food corporations and really iffy research and biases in research that then presents information to us as the consumer, to us as the clinician with false information. And I do think that to a certain extent, Christy Harrison does this in her book. Obviously, she would have a different take on last week's episode. But I do think that what we're trying to encourage here is open curiosity and really questioning who says this. Why are they saying this? Are they getting money? Is this in my best interest to hear this? And where is the nuance? Where is the complexity? Where is the individuality in this? How can I understand all this information in the broader context of the world, the broader context of the history of food in our culture, not just the last five years, but we're talking about a long time of history going from agriculture through the manufacturing boom, if you want it, if you want to call it that, that this is a much larger conversation and not so much, oh, you as an individual, you should change what you're eating. So no, the takeaway from last week's episode is not change what you're eating. So part of what I got out of the interview with David is that this is way larger than me and not in a hopeless way, but more so in an eye-opening way. I cannot, me, myself, and I fix this issue. And it also doesn't mean that I should pretend it doesn't exist. And I think that this is sort of what grates on people's ears. Is that the right phrase? I don't think that sounds right. All right. Well, you guys know what I mean. That there are a lot of eating disorder clinicians or intuitive eating people who say food neutrality, all foods fit, no restriction, let yourself have whatever it is. And then they stop there. So I obviously agree with every one of those statements, but I think what bothers a lot of you is that that's where it starts and ends. And that they're not looking at any of the research that perhaps David has shared with us last week. And they're saying that it doesn't exist, which is infuriating for a lot of you because it does. And it doesn't mean that because it does, we should bring it into the room and bring it into your eating disorder recovery. But I think that it is incredibly invalidating when any one of you work with someone or you talking to someone who is in the field or is in recovery and they say, Intuitive eating is the only way to go, and there is no science backing 
the types of foods has no impact on anything or the amounts of foods or, or your relationship with food. And really what you should be doing is intuitive eating from start to finish. Now, let me just backtrack for a second. While it is incredibly validating to hear somebody like David share that that is true and he is an eating disorder dietitian and he is in the space and he is validating that piece, I do think that for a lot of you who think that episode is a breath of fresh air, (laughs) might be saying that because I'm agreeing with your orthorexic tendencies. And that is not my intention whatsoever. I'm not saying to cut out foods that are considered, quote, ultra processed. I'm not saying to cut any foods out. I'm all for food neutrality. I'm all for intuitive eating. And I'm all for you challenging yourself to eat more of those foods and not less. But I do think that when you come to me, you guys send me DMs and emails. And some of my clients who are talking about a lot of this information, like, you know, just intuitive eating and eating disorder therapists and dietitians are lying when they say that this cookie dough is exactly the same thing as this, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to, almond flour situation named cookie dough. They're like, well, it's not the same thing and it doesn't do the same thing to your body and yada, 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 you know the argument. And I think, again, when I talk to you guys and there is, or it has a feel for an orthorexic side, I don't know. I don't know if we should be siding with that just because it just creates more rigidity and more inflexibility. It reiterates this part of you that is obsessive and restrictive. But in terms of facts, I think that we can't tell lies anymore. So something that stands out to me about what David was talking about is a story about the diabetic back in the day. And some of you might say, oh my God, that is my worst fear that, you know, a lot of people say this, and I've used this example a lot over the years of the podcast is what happens if I incorporate Doritos and now I'm eating Doritos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what am I supposed to do? And for the most part, what I say, and what a lot of my guests have said, a lot of my colleagues have said is that's not going to happen because you get sick of it after a while. You cannot possibly sustain yourself on Doritos, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're not going to want to, you're going to tire of it. You're going to want something else. And for the most part, what happens time and time again is you end up going back to crave whatever other foods you were eating. It's just done so in a not restrictive way because you've allowed yourself to have the Doritos and whatever else it is. In the case of David's story is that a person wasn't able to stop, even though they told him that they'd have to amputate his leg. And I think part of where I just want to address that particular story is that for every single one of you, this is about relearning how to eat if you struggle with any form of disordered eating. That's really important. It's really important. And this is also something that David said, a lot of what he has seen in the quote food addiction world is people struggling with restrictive eating disorders or dieting, any form of restriction. And that has created what looks like addictive behaviors, in which case thing to address is the restriction. The thing to do is to relearn how to eat. The thing to do is to work with a dietitian to incorporate more foods, more types of foods, and even ultra processed foods so that the restrictive part doesn't drive what feels like an addiction. So for a lot of people, and I would venture to guess 100% of you, if you're listening to me right now, the podcast is named Understanding Disordered Eating, for God's sake, that you are struggling with some sort of restriction. And therefore, the thing to do, sort of what I said right before, is relearn how to eat. The thing to do is not to say, oh, I'm going to be like that person. Because when you start eating the Doritos or the fast food hamburger or whatever it is, it will eventually get boring to eat it. It's not that exciting. 
And that's what happens for 100% of you when you're dealing with any form of disordered eating. Now, for the small percentage of people who probably are not even listening to this podcast, they're not my target audience, they also need to work with a dietitian to incorporate a wide variety of foods to relearn food, just maybe in a different way because they don't come at it from a food rules perspective, but they need to relearn their way of eating the same that you do. Well, maybe in a different way, but the same. They need to relearn it. And so the answer is not, oh, this happened to this person. They weren't able to stop and therefore it'll happen to me if I start. No, this potentially happens to a small percentage of people before they relearn how to eat. So again, you must, must, must work with a dietitian to relearn how to eat, to relearn how not to restrict. And the learning process is extensive and really hard to do and takes a long time. But the point of working with a dietitian, the point of intuitive eating, the point of breaking free from food rules is to create choice for yourself. Right now, if you are somebody struggling with disordered eating, you are not choosing. I mean, on the surface you're choosing, yes, you're faced with a decision, you're making a choice, but who's making that decision? The fear of gaining weight, the fear of not eating something clean or not being, quote, healthy, that's what's driving the decision. That is not an active choice. I don't consider that an active choice. The disordered eating, if we're going to personify it, which you know how I feel, not my favorite thing, is driving the choice. I just don't consider that choice. The point of all this is to regain the control, to regain the choice. And maybe you don't like to see it as control. um, But I do think that we all have to feel like we have a handle on our life. We feel like we have a handle on our food choices and that it's not coming from diet culture. It's not coming from any restrictive disordered eating. And it's not coming from the types of foods that we eat. It is completely a choice. So what I will say about intuitive eating is, have we taken it too far? I don't even know if that's an answer. I think it depends on who we talk to. I think you need to go through the 10 principles or whatever version of it you do with your dietitian. Not everyone follows it you know, to the T. You need to do every single part of breaking those food rules before you incorporate last week's conversation into the way that you're thinking, not even your food choices, but the way that you think about food. So you must eat enough throughout the day. You must incorporate all different types of foods. You must at least start to learn your hungerfulness. That is not going to be the case in the beginning of your recovery. It is probably going to come way later. You can start, but if you have any form of restrictive eating, the hungerfulness is not going to be your gauge, but sure, start incorporating it. Start incorporating your cravings. I think you have to work through your emotions. You have to work through a lot with a therapist. There's so many different parts of intuitive eating. It's not just, oh, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And obviously challenging all the food rules that you have in your mind to the very least in the beginning to incorporate more foods and try at the food neutrality thing, which only happens when you do it over and over and over and over again. But I think the thing that potentially we take too far is when we say that the research that shows anything about food and how it impacts us individually and as a larger society, when we say that that's not true, or when we say all of this eating disorder stuff happened because of fat phobia, and we sort of take it out of context in the history of society that it 
potentially was around the same time as food manufacturing and where all the unethical research might have been incorporating. I do think that we're just losing sight of the broader truth. And in that case, maybe we have taken it too far if that's the part we're focusing on. But again, if you have any food rules still, if you're still afraid of gaining weight, none of this nuance is for you. Not right now. And I do want to encourage you to go back and listen to the last several minutes of the podcast and when I ask David, okay, so what do we do about this? Because I think part of what he says there is not cutting out ultra-processed foods, not even close. So just to reiterate, because I really don't want any of you to take this out of context and not really hearing exactly what I'm saying. I believe in intuitive eating. I practice intuitive eating. I suggest and highly encourage intuitive eating. I first encourage you to work with a dietitian who specializes in disordered eating and intuitive eating, all that to relearn your relationship with food. And then you can start to incorporate intuitive eating because if you do it the other way, then I think intuitive eating might not feel so good for you. And you might be one of those people who say intuitive eating has gone too far, which if you do this in a linear way, you work with a dietitian. You incorporate your dietitian's food plan. You do that for weeks and months and some of you years. And then you incorporate some of intuitive eating and then you incorporate more. Then we haven't taken this too far. But the point is to create neutrality around food, to decrease obsessions, to incorporate more types of foods, and to increase your choice. None of this can happen. If you're afraid of gaining weight, I don't think it can happen. Let me think. No, I really don't. I don't think it can happen if you're afraid of gaining weight. I don't, I definitely don't think that this can happen if you are even 1% restrictive. So again, if that's you, then the conversation about the ultra processed food is almost irrelevant. As always, I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you for sending in all of your feedback already. For those of you who have already submitted your thoughts to me, for those of you who have already shared the podcast episode with your people and talked about how pissed off you are, I love you all. What I'm asking for you to do again here, if you have any more reactions, if you want to continue this conversation with your people, just do it. Don't keep this in your head. Don't just think about it. Talk about it. Share the episode. Share the information. Just start the conversation and being pissed off is totally okay. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.